0: Welcome to the King's Cast,
1: dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to uh, uh, introduce our very special guest who is with us here this morning. Most of you have already uh, perhaps caught a glimpse of Mike Robbins, who uh, many, well, maybe not so many years ago, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? A couple of years ago. i better go and get this globe, hadn't I, and do this. Um, Mike um, comes from a wonderful church in Newquay, great uh, Pentecostal church there. See, Pentecostal covers all the bases. And um, uh, Mike... 's got a real heart to see churches grow, not just his own church but but all churches but what I really loved about Mike and and just the the whole ministry that Nuki had was they wanted to encourage smaller churches just to go to that next level i'll, I'll let you into a little secret. many pastors attend conferences and things where the speakers uh, talk about growing to thousands, and, and sometimes it could just seem a bit off the chart. You know, it's just a bit too much out of out of reach. And um, when I travelled to Nuki, I think this church was maybe about forty-five or fifty um, people in it, and the idea was uh, to be encouraged to do great things for God and grow to maybe over over a hundred people, and just have a much better impact in in the various towns and cities that all the guys were from. And so on the last uh, day, uh, Mike gave me this, which is a little globe. It's a, it's a, well, it's a piece of glass, isn't it? It's a globe. And uh, many of you will remember this because as we began to think about breakthrough, and Jane will tell you, I came back from that conference completely charged up. We are now going to have a breakthrough. Uh, sometimes, you know, when it comes to revival, you just have to decide, let's stop talking about revival, let's just have one. Let's stop talking about breakthrough. Let's have a breakthrough and, uh, and take whatever steps we need to in order to see that come about by the grace of God. And um, so many of you will have put your hands on this globe when we were talking about moving out and for you to say, yes, you're with us on the journey. And this globe now sits here on the, here on the platform, at least for the time being, and uh, just to remind us uh, that once we had a dream and now we have a reality. And it's exciting, isn't it? Really, really exciting. Once this was, this building was just a few ideas on the back of an envelope and here we are sitting in it and now dreaming of other things to do and bigger things to do and there other ways that we can reach this uh, city. So I want to say to you, uh, members of this fellowship and friends here today, that actually we owe Mike Robbins quite a lot. Because his, his inspiration, his ministry, uh, to me over those wonderful days in um, Newquay, uh, there was some impartation of the Holy Spirit and that in some way, if not in a very, very large way, contributed to what happened here uh, as, we, as we began to build. So Mike, you have the word for today. No one else has got it. Why don't you stand please and welcome the man of God as he comes to share God's word with us.
0: Wow. I can't tell you how uh, encouraged I am to be here and uh, to hook up with you guys again, with Peter and Jane, and just to see what God's doing in this place. The best is yet to be, eh? Best is yet to be, eh? Do you guys talk to the preacher when he preaches? Would you talk to this preacher when he preaches? Because, you know, there are so many things going through my mind, and uh, this is just part of the journey that you guys are on. The best is yet to be breaking those barriers, uh, there's another barrier along the way. Did you know that? There's another level to go and God's going to take you that next level. And uh, the message I want to bring you today really is based around that whole thing of where, so where do we go from here really, I guess, and what kind of people is God looking for, you know, that are going to, that are going to break these molds and break these barriers. I, we, when we, we went to Newquay maybe 20 years ago, a very, very small church Everybody kind of said, oh, the church will never break out of this, and the church will never break out of that. And there was this kind of mindset that this small church in Yuki would always be a small church in Yuki. Let me tell you something, and hear this really clearly. Uh, uh, Nobody has seen anything the like of what God wants to do with this place yet. Even your wildest dreams and imaginations will get nowhere near what God has planned for you guys here. The only limit he has is us. The only limit he has is us. So our job is to broaden our horizons. Our job is to be open to him. And I would imagine, just by being here, that you are a church that is open to the things of God and prepared for what God wants to do. Amen. Do we hear an amen? amen? Amen. That's more like it. Alrighty. Um, I'm going I'm to bring you a word from... Uh, in fact, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn me to be pleased, to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, very well known passage matthew chapter fourteen verses twenty two to thirty three matthew fourteen twenty two to thirty three okay father i pray in jesus name that as i bring this word lord you would release me to uh, preach it the way you want it preached. Um, jesus you say in scripture that we should take care how we listen and i pray today lord that we would listen very carefully to your word. Lord, I am we are more than aware that, that the preacher needs the anointing to be able to deliver what's on your heart. And uh, also, Lord, we're more than aware that the, we're the right people in the right place at the right time. So Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to, uh, to uh, bring this message into our lives, into our hearts and changes. And, and our prayer, Lord, is that we will not leave this place the same. Our prayer, Lord, is that we will be impacted by you, impacted by your Spirit. And that, Lord, we will be challenged, we will be encouraged, but more than anything, Lord, that we will be transformed more into the likeness of Christ. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I had a thought, just for a moment or two, I had a thought when you were talking about baptisms. In Newquay, we're on the Atlantic, okay, north coast of Cornwall. The north coast of Cornwall is like the surf coast. And the water there is Baltic. It is freezing. About three weeks ago, we baptized, would you believe, three guys in that sea. We do this every, every quarter. We do our baptisms. Many of the guys in our church, because they've got surf backgrounds, want to get baptized in the sea. They all refuse to wear wetsuits. They go in that water. let me tell you, I tell you, they come up real quick. They come <laughs> up real quick. And they come up blue. Absolutely blue. Here we go. Immediately. You ready? It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. And when they crossed over, they landed at Genesaret. You know, that's such a powerful scripture. And I want to talk to you today uh, about risk and about breaking out of the bounds of safety. You've already done that. You've already done that. You are so far ahead of the game here in Cambridge. So church, it just so reminds me of my... I wish Sheila, my wife, was here because we would be nudging each other during the worship and everything saying, you know, this is just like home. There's like a vibe in certain churches that you know that they're up for taking a risk. They're up for taking a chance. You're sitting in a miracle. You're aware of that. You're sitting in something that is bringing God glory. Two years ago, it wasn't here. Now, two years later, it is here. And this is here for a purpose. And the purpose this is here is to help people find Christ. We all agree on that. It's the reason that this has been built. But it came with risk. What was it you kept saying to me yesterday? You kept saying, I can pull out any time I like. (laughs) That's what what Peter kept saying to me. Yes, I can pull out any time I like. And uh, no, you can't because it's done (laughs) You can't undo what you've done. But the point is, is that, that Peter, Jane and you guys, you decided to take that chance and take that risk. And a lot of Christians uh, don't. A lot of Christians try to tackle uh, the question of is their life after death. And the question should be, is there life before death? Because Jesus calls us to a life of faith and faith is risk. And if we're not, if our hearts aren't palpitating a bit now and again, and if the adrenaline isn't rising in us now and again, then I would question, are we really walking in the spirit of God? Somebody else say amen. 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 Let's all practice an amen. One, two, three. All right. From the back. One, two, three. Yeah, that's cool, that's cool, that's good, that's good. We're getting there, we're getting there. All right. Okay, let me tell you a story about a guy called Jim. Jim had a passion for God. Jim wanted to share the gospel. Jim took risks to preach that gospel. He shaved his head down to the skin, kept a patch long, turned it into a pigtail, and he dyed it. Jim stopped wearing suits and wore the clothes of the people that he was trying to reach. He ate what they ate, he talked like they talked. he moved house into their neighborhood, he lived in their non-Christian environment, he built on whatever common ground he could to tell them about Jesus. What did the other churches do while Jim was doing this? True story. They laughed at him. They ridiculed him. They didn't understand what he was doing, and they maligned him. Jim, or as he's more widely known, James Hudson Taylor, gave up everything he had to reach the Chinese people. Everything. Held nothing back. Took every risk that was possible to build that ministry called the China Inland Mission. More than anyone else, he is credited with turning multitudes, countless millions now, over to Christ. Are you aware that there's 150 million Chinese Christians, 10% of the population they estimate now are Christians in China. That is a greater percentage than the United States of America. That's pretty cool. The church is doing okay. But it took a man who took a risk. No risk. Nothing happens. Sit in your safe place. Enjoy uh, your Christianity. Sing the Christian songs. That's wonderful. It's a great, great thing to do. But it isn't going to change anything. It's risk. Risk risk is what changes it all. I wonder how many of you have ever skydived? Put your hand up if you've ever skydived. You're a man. Got a man there that's you skydive, yeah? That's cool. Anybody here have you ever bungee jumped? Oh, you you guys, you got (laughs) it I've got a few fundraising ideas for you already going through my mind. (laughs) How many have ever been country dancing? See <laughs> All righty. Um, how many of you ever driven over 100 miles an hour? Ah, oh, nice and high. Nice and high. Come on. Put those hands up. You shameful people. One of the things I love about Peter in that story that we read is Peter began to sink. He began to sink. Can I humbly say good? Because when you begin to sink, it means you've taken a chance on something different. And those that never begin to sink are those that sit in the boat and just analyze and just question. At least he wasn't just taking the safe route. To get that rush, you have to get out of the boat. When you get out of the boat, the chances are high that you are going to sink. When you embarked on this project two years ago, whenever it was two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago, I guess, when you were thinking about it, when you began on this project, it could have gone wrong. Do I hear an amen to that? At least, could have gone horribly wrong, couldn't it? You could have ended up in yards of debt, and there could have been this wrong, and the building could have fallen down, and you know all the stuff, all the all the doom stories that there could have been. And when you, when you meet with the architects and the structured engineers, they go. Ooh. Have you ever met those guys, have you got the architects, ooh, yeah, ooh. A bit like mechanics, you know, ooh, not sure about that. There's all kinds of things that could have gone wrong. You could have sank, but you took the risk. You got out of the boat. And because you got out of the boat, everything came good and you gave God the chance. Now, to be truthful, when you begin to sink, that element of risk is the rush. Imagine how Peter must have felt when he got back in the boat. I bet his heart was pumping, don't you? I bet the adrenaline was high in him. I bet he was whoa! I bet he was totally, 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 totally rushed out with it all. Now you don't see uh, this in a lot of the pictures. The classic pictures of Peter in the boat—he's there, a bit downcast because he began to sink, and he's thoughtful or in repose and everything, or turning to Jesus and saying, "Sorry." I reckon, I reckon, Peter's hair was stuck out everywhere. I reckon he had a great big grin on his face. I do. I reckon he was, whoa! That's what you get when you take a risk with Jesus. That's what you get. That's what you get. Sinking is good for you. So if beginning to sink is good for us, let's ask ourselves, I'm going to talk today, this is how you can begin to sink. Okay? Number one, this is a simple one, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Zero risk is impossible. Are you aware of that? You cannot go through life with no risk. It's impossible. When you read that story and it says Jesus Made the disciples get in the boat. I want you to focus in on that word made. In fact, if you've got the, you the authorised version, I think it says constrained. Something like that. Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Have you ever had one of those experiences where Jesus makes you do something? Alright, you don't really want to do it. It's a bit scary, but he makes you do it. He constrains you to do it. Now that word, if you trace it back to the Greek, means quite literally this, and you can check this up after I preach. It means this, Jesus constrained them, which means by force with threats or entreaties. In other words, he's saying, get in the boat. Don't want to get in the boat. Get in the boat. I don't want to get in the boat. You will get in that boat. That's the kind of tenor that he's getting. He's pushing them. He's shoving them. Get in the boat. Now these guys are fishermen. They're not thickies. They understand weather. They understand the weather, so so Jesus has to force them, as it were, constrain them to get into the boat. Now they'd done a full day; they'd been at the feeding of the five thousand, and perhaps they looked up at the, the sky and thought, "Heap big clouds on the horizon." You know. You know one of my favourite lines out of the line, "The Witch in the Wardrobe," is where. Lucy innocently asks Aslan asks sorry if Aslan is safe. And she's talking to the Beavers. And Mr. Beaver says this, he says, Safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe. The day you gave your life to follow Christ, the day you chose Christianity. And today, if you choose Christianity today, everything changes. He isn't safe. He isn't predictable. It isn't about Sunday morning, sitting in a seat. It is a life, a wild life, on a roller coaster of excitement. If your Christianity is boring, you've missed it. If if anybody ever says to me, church is so boring. I don't know what planet they're on, because the church I'm in, we, our hearts are just pumping all the time, well, what on earth is coming next with the things of God, eh? Come on, come on, let's practice our amen, one, two, three, amen, amen, All righty, where was I? There we are. If you follow Jesus, you enter a world of risk, so he constrains us, he pushes us, he provokes us. You spell risk, F-A-I-T-H. You pray for faith, you get on your knees, you say, Jesus, I wish I had more faith. Then he gives you a situation that demands risk. Why does he do that? He's giving you faith, because you can't have faith unless there's a risk. Stepping out of the boat. So you pray for faith, he's going to bring you a great big fat issue that you've got to deal with that's going to get your heart pumping a bit and you're going to wonder whether you're going to get through it okay. He, If you want to see miracles, pray for miracles. I'm cautious to do this, but who wants to see miracles? You know what you need to get a miracle? An impossibility. So the moment you say, God, I want to see a miracle, he's going to say, okay, here's an impossibility. Aren't you glad you put your hand up now? That's the way it works. That is the way it works. Think of the talents that Jesus speaks of. Matthew 25, 5, 2 and 1. All according to their ability. What was the master looking for with the talents? Risk. It's risk. I've given you this. Are you going to invest it or are you going to keep it? Are you going to bury it? Some of you guys, I'm sure, in this church, and I know this is a fantastic church, but I just want to provoke maybe a little bit more. Some of you guys have been given talents. Don't bury your talents. Use them. One life, one chance. None of us know when we're going to be with him, huh? I could be on the end. I'm not prophesying this. I could be on the end, whatever it is, going home tomorrow, whenever that is. And I could be gone and I could be before him and my chances will be over. So I'm going to maximize my day today. One chance, one life. One. We have to make it count. Take the thousand, says Jesus. Give it to the one who risked the most. This is uh, Matthew twenty five, twenty eight, from the message. Take the thousand. Give it to the one who risked the most. And he says this. Get rid of this. Play it safe. Who won't go out on a limb. Throw him out into utter darkness. You know, Jesus, the prince of uh, 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 king of kings and lord of lords, took all the risk that could be taken. And by the way, Jesus is non-health and safety compliant. Did you have CDM regulations when you did your building here? With the hard hats and the yellow high-vis jackets. And Can you imagine Jesus doing a risk assessment? Okay. Come, come follow me. I want to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to become a disciple. So he says, okay, sit down. We can do this risk assessment. What's the risk assessment? You're going to be hanging around with lepers? Okay. Hanging around with lepers. Dead people? Dead people. <laughs> Murderers? Imagine Noah's risk assessment, no training, no rain, no sea, no support. If you want to begin to sink, you have to take a risk. So perhaps today you've taken a risk. Perhaps today you pushed out from the shore, from the safe place. Perhaps today you set out into the deep with Jesus and you're beginning to sink. Just remember this today Christians can only ever begin to sink. You will not sink, because you cry out to Jesus, Jesus, and immediately the word says his hand comes out and he catches you. Okay, so if you want to begin to sink, you've got to get out of the boat. The second thing you need to do, if you're going to begin to sink, is this, let Jesus call you out of the mundane. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. I wonder what Peter thought in that moment. You know, maybe he was sitting in the boat quite safe saying, "Oh, Jesus, if it's you, call me to come, thinking, he's never going to call me to come. And then Jesus says, all right, come. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to minister for you. I want to be in ministry. I want to be in full-time ministry for you, Jesus. All right, do it. Do it. Do you know there's something about that moment in time when he takes you and me at our word, isn't there? There's something about it where we make the statement, And we say, I'm going to tithe, Jesus. Go on, tithe. Do it. Talk about it. Do it. Come. It's that moment in time when everything changes. It really is truly a tipping point. Now, you're not going to stand a chance of sinking if you're living in a land of spiritual mediocrity. If you're just sitting in a boat with the other 11, there's no risk. It's an ordinary trip. My life took a dramatic change years ago. I don't share this story very often, but when I became a Christian, I was about 24, I was in engineering, and I didn't know what to do with my life, you know? And so uh, I'd, I'd, I'd been given the keys to the church because I was on part of a team in the church sort of thing, so I had the keys, and I thought I'd arrived, and I thought, this is ministry now. I've got the keys to the church, you know what I mean? Anybody else been there? It's the keys. I'm a key holder. Hmm. This is it. doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I can remember midnight one night. It was about quarter to twelve, and I was thinking, "God, you've got to do something with my life. You've got to, If this is Christianity, hold the key. If this is it, Lord, <laughs> this is as good as it gets, you know." And I, I drove down to that church. My wife was asleep in bed, and I drove down to that church down in Winton, in Bournemouth, Colin Dye, uh, his church. And I went to the front of the church, and we had this big old varnished communion table. And I thought, what do I do in my life? How do I give my life to Christ? How do I express what's going on in my heart? And I lay on that communion table. Just lay flat on that communion. If anybody had come in that have thought, good Lord, that would have freaked. I'll tell you, this body on the table. just. But I lay on the communion table and I gave Christ my life. And I said, I will serve you. I will follow you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Let me tell you, it changed from that point on. That point on. Out of the mediocre, out of the mundane, higher thinking, average is an enemy. Is anything too hard for the Lord Genesis eighteen fourteen? No, certainly not. That means that what he calls me to do will be extraordinary. What he calls Cambridge, this King's Church, this amazing church here, will be extraordinary. He leaves the ordinary stuff for ordinary people, but he calls the church to do the impossible because the impossible brings him glory. And you're just beginning your journey, and this new building that you got here is here to serve a purpose, and the carpet's gonna get worn out, and the PA system's gonna need replacing. And you're going to be rammed in, come on, can you dream with me a bit, you're going to be rammed in this place, there's going to be people back to front, you're going to be going to multiple services, come on, I'm not just saying this to amp you up and build you up, can you see what God wants to do here? That's why he released you to do what you've done, not so you can sit in air conditioned comfort, our job is to prepare the house for the children of God that are coming, isn't it? That's why this is here, because his kids are coming from all over Cambridge, all over the place. They're making their way back now. Some of them don't even know it. And God has called you to prepare the house for them to come, and that took a risk. But the big risks are coming, they're on their way. Commitment. Napoleon said this, impossible is a word that is only in the dictionary of fools. That was a lousy French accent, but... (laughs) But if you can work with me on that, that's what he said. Impossible is a word that is only in the dictionary of fools. The church is not called to do the difficult. We are, we are not called to hit, hit a six. We're called to smack the ball clean out of the court. We're We're called to, come on, we're called to change it all, to transition it all. The moment we get out of the seat of the ordinary, we become vulnerable to sink, but we've got to get out of the seat of the ordinary in order to get the adrenaline rush to get in a place where God can use us without faith. Without risk, it's impossible to please God. So you've got to take a risk to be able to begin to sink. You need to step out of the ordinary to be able to begin to sink. Finally, it's often found that to be able to sink, you need to be in the darker night. And I want to unpack this a bit because I do feel this is important for somebody here. In the darker night, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. The fourth watch is between three o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. Many any of you guys, I guess, uh, some of you guys maybe work in residential homes and anything, when, when, when uh, elderly people slip off, often that will be the time they go. I think statistically, in fact, I think that is probably the time generally when they will go, in the real thick of night. The real thick of night. It's the worst hour that there can be, statistically. If your phone rings between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning, you don't just amble out of bed do you? You leap out of bed. Because if your phone rings at that time of the morning, it means there's something serious happening. It's a very significant time of the morning. I can remember when I was on night shift. In my old engineering days, I was on night shift. That time of the morning, I'd be cold. I'd be numb. I'd be at my lowest emotionally, physically and spiritually. The first watch begins at six o'clock in the evening and the first watch begins at 6 it finishes at 9 you following this second one begins at 9 ends at 12 which is midnight the third watch begins at 12 closes at 3 and then the fourth watch that we're looking at begins at 3 ends at ends at 6 in the morning so i want you to follow this carefully are you ready Let's work out a time frame from that. So daytime, in the daytime, we know that this account tells us that they were feeding the 5,000 during the day. Seven o'clock, Jesus encourages the disciples, get in the boat, get in the boat. I don't want to get in the boat, get in the boat. I don't want to get, get in the boat. So he encourages them to get in the boat. About seven o'clock in the evening. The crowd dismissed. Jesus climbs the slope of a mountain to find a place to pray. The middle of the sea was four miles. It was eight miles across that sea at that point or thereabouts. So how long does it take to row four miles? Well, if you say at one mile an hour, and one mile an hour is really conservative, but if, you, if we worked it out at one mile an hour, that that's what they're rowing at, that puts the time near midnight between 10 p.m. 12 and midnight In fact, we could say, let's be conservative with this as well. Let's say around about 11 o'clock in the evening, the storm hits. So consider this. Jesus is up on a mountain, the storm hits around about 11 o'clock at night. But he doesn't turn up till 3 in the morning. Can you see what's happening? He leaves them in the storm. He leaves them in the grip of a storm. Why? Because he's callous? Why? Because he's, he, he, he's doing something else that's more important? No, it's something fundamentally deeper than that. He leaves them. He leaves them until after three so that he can respond... As it were, to their faith and to their prayers. The question rests, why didn't he go immediately? Jesus's delay in coming to them was intentional. The fourth watch, listen, the fourth watch is the time of absolute desperation. When I was on that communion table at 12 o'clock at night, that was my fourth watch. I was desperate. I reckon, and I say this with absolute, and I I thank you for the grace that you've shown me in saying what you said about breakthrough. But listen, that was your fourth watch. You were desperate. What makes a guy travel all the way across this country to the back of beyond for three days? What makes a very busy man do that? It's because he is desperate. And let me tell you, in your hour of desperation, that's where God hears your cry. Not in a flowery prayer generally and not in the kind of the niceties of prayer that we have but the messy, snotty prayers of real angst. God, touch me. Change me. Save Cambridge. Come on. Come on. It's when you weep over the land that God really responds to that prayer. And when we pray for the heart of God, that's what happens to us. That's exactly what happens to us. It is the hour when there's no other help. It's the hour when the pastor is asleep. It's the hour when the cavalry are in bed. It's the hour when the mobile phone batteries are flat. It's the hour when the God channel is off air. It's the hour of exhaustion. It's when we're rode out, when we feel helpless and we feel lonely and there's nowhere else to go but Jesus. And let me tell you, your darkest hour is always your strongest hour. I wish I had time for this, but I tell you something. My church would never ever have grown if I didn't reach pretty well burnout and exhaustion and this this point of no return. The day, I've just just come from speaking to a bunch of guys and I said to them, the day I was out flailing my arms in the middle of nowhere saying, God, what are you doing? Where are you? You say you're going to do this. You say you're going to do that. But you haven't done it. Was the day God said, thank goodness, I've got somebody that's really praying to me now and connecting with me instead of this nonsense that I get. You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying that with deep respect. I know all prayer is good. Not knocking prayer. What I'm saying is there was a different prayer that day. Different, different prayer the day Peter came to Newquay. And look what God did through that. And that's just the beginning. Oh. The hour when Jesus calls men to shine is the fourth hour. The only source of rescue is him. The only source of rescue is him. Church can be an undertaker. Church can be a caretaker. But the church should be a risk taker. I mentioned Hudson Taylor in the beginning. He's the guy who said this, and I quote verbatim, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. When Jesus talked to the talents, to the disciples, he talked of risk. You don't accumulate until you speculate. The moment you invest in something, you take a risk. You will never get married without taking a risk. Isn't that right? You will never drive a car unless you take a risk and go for your test. You will never get your license. You'll never get on a plane. You'll never go on holiday on a plane. Uh, if you don't, you know, careful you don't move because you might stub your toe. You, you don't become a partner in a church unless you take a risk. And let me tell you, uh, nobody's asked me to say this, but you will never tithe until you take a risk. It's not easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be a risk. No risk, no faith. So, God's challenge to us is do you trust me? Do you trust me? His little poem. There was a very cautious man who never laughed or played, he never risked, he never tried. He never sang or prayed, and when he one day passed away, his insurance was denied. For since he never really lived, they claimed he never died. You miss 100%, they say, of the shots that you don't take. I've given you talents, says Jesus. Cambridge, King's Church. I've given you talents. Invest them. Come on. Invest them. Don't think he's talking to the person next to you. He's talking to you. Invest them. Invest them. Give it to me. I'm going to close in literally two or three minutes now. So I'm going to have to be real quick on this. Is that okay? Okay. All right, Solomon's high risk, high rule principles. Number one, invest in risk. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Use what you have. Come with what you have. Everybody's got something. One man gives freely, gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Number two, go beyond the boundary of expectation. Don't just give what is necessary. Give above what is necessary. I love that. Give portions to seven, yes to eight. Says Ecclesiastes 11.2 For you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. It's not about hanging on to what I've got. Many churches do that all the time. It's about giving above and beyond. Seven, the number of perfection, Solomon says, go for eight. Number three, cut the excuses. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. If you're in this place today, you haven't given your life to Christ, now's your day. Now's your day to give your life to Christ, today. All right. you think, I'll go home, I'll give my life to Christ when I get home. My friend, you're missing it. There's an opportunity, that opportunity comes and it goes. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Wouldn't it be nice if Moses had seen the sea part just by looking at it and then he goes through it? Wouldn't it be nice if Joshua and the priests, if they'd waited long enough on the bank of the Jordan, the water parts and they go, okay, boys across. No, no, no. It happens when you put your toe in the water. So stop waiting. Make the faith move before it happens. I've found that in my life and I'm sure you guys are finding that here, that, that God is waiting for me. I, I say to my church, in the old days we used to say, one day when God gives us the money, we'll do it. And God says, no, no, one day when you do it, I'll give you the money. Can you see the difference there? Risky. But there's only one way of doing it. There's only one way of doing it. Here's a word from God. It will come. Do it anyway. Do it scared. You ever heard that? Just do it scared. (laughs) Number four, go beyond your understanding. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Don't try and figure him out as you take your risk. You won't. You can't figure him out. I don't understand God. He's illogical to me. His ways are different. I wouldn't run the world the way God runs it. I wouldn't, I'd be much kinder to me and much nicer to me and wouldn't give me any of the hassle i seem to get if I was God, but I'm not God. So I've given up trying to understand him. I'm just going to roll with it. Do you know what I mean? I'm just going to go with it. You want a predictable life? Become a Buddhist. I'm serious. Pick another faith. Pick another faith. You want a predictable life? Just go do something different. Because the day you choose Christ, you better hang on, buckle up. It's going to be some ride. It's going to be some ride. (laughs) Work on dark days as well as light days. I am really done. Light is sweet. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. We don't prove ourselves in the easy and the challenges that you guys are going through in your individual lives are the very things that are going to prove your faith. They're your strongest things because God is going to shine through that as you're obedient to him. I want to encourage you with that. Bad things happen to good people. I don't understand that. They do. But what I do know is that Jesus the Savior walks me through those days brings me out the other end where other people will crumble and fall. In Christ I can pass through that valley of Bacca, He'll turn it into a place of glory and a place of wonder. My destiny is not dependent On the weather or how things are going. It is dependent on God's promises. And I stick myself to God's promises. And I hang on in there. Because I'm going to be obedient to those promises. C.S. Lewis. Whose mother died when he was nine. Later lost his wife Joy to cancer. When he was a boy. He never came to grips with his mother's death. And as a man. He was forced to come to grips with the death of his beautiful wife. That he married late in life. And he said this. The boy chooses safety. The man chooses suffering. I'll take the risk. I'll take the risk. And number six, keep the main thing in sight. You who are young, make the most of your youth. Relish your youthful vigor. Follow the impulses of your heart. If something that's good to you, pursue it. But know also that not just anything goes. You have to answer for God for every last bit of it. Live foot loose and fancy free. It's from the message you can tell. You won't be young forever. Youth lasts about as long as smoke. Now I'm glad I'm a young man. God has no old people. Only has children. I was crazy and reckless when I was younger. And that's the way it was. But here's the problem. As I get older, I get stayed. An average can creep up on me. And I can begin to collect dust. But I made up my mind I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live in this place of risk. I'm going to remain spiritually active. I'm going to plug in to the things of God. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure. That I live a life of risk. Would you stand with me please. I'm going to hand back to pastor in a moment or two. But I just candid, it a real privilege if I can pray. While we stand. Commitment takes a risk. Are you willing to take a risk today? Are you willing to take a risk today? God's speaking in the hearts in this place right now. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is. And the question is. Are you going to do what he's asking you to do? Consider carefully. Because you can trigger a chain of events. This moment that will change your life forever. Just consider for a moment or two. I wonder today, if ever you've made the decision to follow Christ. I wonder today, whether your decision was the real deal. I want to encourage you today, take the risk.